And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Top Talk Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Harris Marino. Back alongside me, co-host Dan Kiley has some audio issues that held us up this evening. Dan, how are you doing this Tuesday evening? Um, as you already know, I uh, I feel awful, but I am here and I'm excited to do the show. I've been in bed all day long trying to get up enough strength to be present for the show. Uh, nothing contagious, nothing crazy like that. Um, just Real bad sinus infection has been kicking my butt. So bad headache. But I'm gonna get through it. I got an hour in me. I'll power through. Got an hour in you. I got an hour in me, maybe even more. We'll see how this show goes, how long this goes. But with that, Dan, we had a football game this weekend. By God, was it a good one? I don't know if I've watched a better football game since the 2017 Rose Bowl and then what we witnessed the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl this weekend. Georgia counts from behind to beat Ohio State in a game where I don't even know where to start, Dan. Like, I, I don't know where to start. You come from behind. It was an absolute shootout, 42-41, to 41, a game that's going to be talked about for years. Possibly, possibly, I don't know where you stand on it, the best game Georgia has played in, has been a part of since that 2017 Rose Bowl against Oklahoma that went down to overtime. That was the one thing that's missing from this game. That doesn't make it an apt comparison. This game was finished after four quarters. Oklahoma and Georgia needed a little extra time. So with that being said, let's jump right into a quick recap. I'm going to try to get this recap in, guys. In about two or three minutes. So let's start from the top, Dan, because I think that's the best place to start from because it kind of shows you the evolution of this game. Because on the first, very first drive, Ohio State got the ball first. Georgia deferred to the second half. Ohio State got the ball first. Four plays off the field. Georgia gets off the field. Great start. Great start. The defense gets off the field on the first third down of the game thanks to a well-dialed up Smellmond and Blitz. Absolutely just well-dialed up. Free pressure. Nobody even touched him until he got to the quarterback. Just beautiful. Georgia's offense then takes the field immediately. Similar, kind of like similar to that Oregon game where Georgia's going for it. They're going for home runs. Todd Munkin called five straight passes to start the game. Bennett completed four of those five balls before, hey, first run of the game, second run of the game, I believe. I want to say uh, first or second run of the game. It was a read option. Had Kenny McIntosh up the middle. Decided to pull the ball because, I mean, he doesn't do it often, but when he does, it's usually a first down or a big play. Pulls the ball, gets tackled for a loss, and what ended up being probably one of his few minus decisions on the grade sheet, pulled it, and then Jack Podlesny comes onto the field, pushes the field goal right, right, and that's how Georgia gets the game all started. Three points left on the board. Ohio State goes down, scores four plays immediately. You just see how this game's going to turn out. Just on that very, on that second Ohio State drive, boom, like that. They strike quickly. Georgia answers eight plays. Tunnel screen to Kenny McIntosh. Todd Monken had everybody going crazy with a new, a little new play design, a little new nuance to that screen game that Georgia's used this year. I think it's probably been one of the better years for their screen games. They've gotten off to it. I State scores again, 14-7. Georgia goes down. Bennett interception on a play where I think if he had a little bit more time in the pocket, then I think he gets that pass off. We've seen him do it before against Florida. He had a similar play on, on a wheel route. Kenny McIntosh, I believe it was. A little underthrown this time, ends up in a pick. 21-7, Ohio State goes up. And to me, Dan, that's the first test of this ballgame. You can't tell the story of this football game without talking about how, how fast Ohio State got up and when they did, how fast Georgia responds. Georgia goes back on offense. Score. So quickly. So, so quickly. Bennett finds Arian Smith, who we're going to talk about a little later in the show, 47 yards. Capped off by a Kendall Milton 11-yard touchdown run. Who, my God, we're going to talk about him later as well. Georgia forces a punt, and then Georgia scores again. First test, they pass with flying colors. 14 straight points to tie the game back up. 
that's when everyone realized, hey, we got a shoot on our hands. So let's fast forward a little bit more because I want to talk really when we wrote up this show notes, we want to talk about the most important kind of how you tell the story of this game. And we're going to fast forward to the next time Georgia's down 14 points. Georgia gets a field goal heading into the fourth quarter, heading into the fourth quarter, down 14 points. Everyone on everyone's mind, if you're a Georgia fan, it was Georgia needs to score touchdowns, 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 touchdowns. They can't do it. Long 12 play drive, five minute drive, get a stop. You know, you get your field goal. Okay. Cut it down to 11. You need to stop from your defense. That felt like a, like, like a really hard ask. Uh, a lot of Georgia fans had to beg for that for the first time. They get the stop. And now you have it, Dan. Boom. One play touchdown, wide open Aaron Smith, 38, 35 after two point conversion. And Georgia's defense needs to stop. They hold steady, force a field goal from Ohio State, 41-35. And, Dan, you tweeted it out. At this moment, right before Georgia's last offensive possession, you tweeted it out that this is where teams come to play. This is where if you're a championship team, you get the offensive drive of your life from your quarterback to your offensive line to your receiver to your running back. This is where you come to play. This is where you show your championship team. And, by God, did they do it. Down six points with under 22 minutes to go. Georgia and Stetson Bennett come out swinging. And looking back on it, I mean, it was playing – it was obvious. Georgia was going to come out swinging. Georgia was going to come out passing, just like how they started the game. They are going to come out, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows everyone and their mama in that stadium and watching at home knew Stetson Bennett was going to have to throw the football to go win that game, and he did. Went five for five, 57 yards, and ended 2022. Somebody how he started it with a touchdown to A.D. Mitchell. So with that being said, Dan, I don't know if I got that in. I guess I got that in right at the three-minute mark. Where, where do we want to start, Dan? You want to start with the defense? Do you want to start with Stetson Bennett? Do you want to start Kirby Smart and what may have been that greatest no, timeout of all time? I want to start at the beginning. You're talking about Georgia came out to start the football game, and they did a great job defensively going three and out and uh, forcing the punt. And smile, uh, the smile Mundon um, blitz right up the middle. Did a great job. I mean, it was it was just. I mean, it wasn't anything spectacular other than they just showed uh, a blitz, and then the guy. Uh, I think it was um, might have been JDJ. Somebody backed off, like they were going to blitz, and then backed out. And then when he backed out, he was replaced by Smile, and and he got home. And that, that was a big play. And one of the keys for me for this football game was to hit CJ Stroud, make him uncomfortable because he doesn't play well when he's uncomfortable. He does not like to get hit. Um, but they did that, and then. You know, that first drive, what an electric first drive. You know, start it with A.D. Mitchell. Um, we get um, we get a, a Jack Saint catch in that first drive. We get another Mitchell catch in that drive. We got a um, – I, I, what's it, Don Blaylock? I can't remember. But we had a bunch of guys just contributing on that first – and we drive all the way down the field. Like you said, we weren't really running the ball that much. The first time we tried to run the ball was on an end around with Ladd, and he got absolutely smacked in the freaking mouth by um, – Oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, to him allowed. Uh, no, Zach. Zach, Zach um, Harrison, I think it is. Zach Harrison, um, their their five star edge rusher, who's a senior. Um, who that guy's made himself some money too. But um, you know, we, we talk about Stetson and and like Kirby said at halftime, we need him to play well to win. If he's not going to play well, we're not going to win. And I think what he was talking to is like. That first read of the game, the first real decision he had to make was either a give or a keep, and he decided to keep it. And I understand what you're saying, that like in the past he's kept it. And But listen, we're playing Ohio State. We're not playing Sisters of the Poor. 
And they have just as many talented players as you do. I've said that time and time again on all of our shows leading up to this is that they recruit just as well as you do. They have just as many special players as you do. You do not have an athlete advantage against Ohio State. I mean, maybe in one spot here or there, you might have a spot, but it's not across the board like you do in most games. If he gives that ball to Kenny McIntosh, it is a walk-in touchdown. They open up a hole the size of the Grand Canyon. Like, literally, like a blind person could have saw that hole. I have no idea what the hell he was doing. And, like, he he had a he, – he, listen, like, again, I'm going to go back to what Kirby says, is he's got to make better decisions for us to win this football game. And I, I just think that was a really bad whiff on him, and I think that, that was a, a moment where uh, you had a real opportunity – to shove that down Ohio State's face. And then I don't know that the game goes exactly the way it does because you stop them, you go on the board real quick. And I think they get a little bit nervous. Um, And then, you know, Pod goes out there, uh, 47-yard field goal, and he hooks it left. I mean, God almighty. I mean, how – and then now now they've got some mojo. And then they just start going Harrison and just march all the way down the field but I have to tell you with unequivocally that that first touchdown this should not have ever happened. Not even close. I, I took some notes down. I was watching about the game. And, and you know, in, in the moment of the game, sometimes emotion gets the best of you and you're watching a game and your eyes are clouded from a homeristic point of view where everything's this or that or whatever. So I went back and I was like, okay. I remember these specific things. So I'm going to go back to the game and try to find them. So on that first touchdown pass, number 79, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's Paris Johnson. Maybe it's not. But number 79 grabs a hold of 96 on our team twice on the play. From the original step, he grabs a hold of him, gets his shirt, and then as he breaks away, he rips away from that block. He grabs him from behind and turns his body. I'm not talking about like, Listen, we know there's holding on every play. We do it too. Georgia does it too. If you get your hands inside those shoulder pads, baby, it's a skid steer. You can push that guy anywhere you want to as long as your hands are inside the pad. It's accepted. Everybody knows it. Nobody complains about it. You don't see uh, players going, hey, he held me right here. They don't know. It's when it's outside the shoulder pads. So, like I said, number 79 grabs a hold of him from behind, turns his shoulder. If he doesn't do that, he makes a sack or hits him or hits him as he throws, whatever the case may be. However, not called. C.J. Stroud rolls to the right, throws a touchdown pass. Now it's seven to nothing. And that that's that's like where I was like, oh, crap, because we had such a great opportunity to get on the board early in that football game. But <clears throat> through that first quarter, um, so, at, you know, after that happens, we, have, we get the ball back. And on our first touchdown, one of the notes that I took down was, oh, my God the wall that we just set up for Kenny McIntosh. It was a red tunnel. I called Cannon in the room. He's like, oh, damn, what? what are you trying to show me? I don't even want to. I'm like, dude, look at this tunnel. He's like, yeah, they're college players. This is what they're supposed to do. I'm like, no, you don't understand. That is incredible. That tunnel, that they, I mean, like, dude, a, a one-star could have walked through that hole. I'm talking about a, a walk-on. Anybody could have scored on that play that has decent athleticism because that was a massive hole. So I mean, all in all, in that first quarter, um, I don't remember what was the um, what was the final, what was the score at the end of the first quarter? Was it score at the end? Yeah, it was fourteen seven. Fourteen seven, them right? 
Yeah. So, I mean, listen, it, it was a competitive quarter. I thought Georgia had some real opportunities to make some plays. They didn't do that. Um, I think that there were some blatant missed calls. Um, now, Grant, listen, I, I even have notes on here where we got away with some stuff. On that very first pass play to um, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Malachi Starks makes a tackle. You can make an argument that his hand got that face mask. I mean, his head snapped around. They didn't call it. So, I mean, that's a 15-yarder that they didn't get. Now, now, <clears throat> like I said, like we said, we went three and out, right? So, imagine if you take that 15 yards on and now they're, they're further down the field. Maybe it changes that drive and they score right away. So, who knows? But uh, we got away with some stuff, too. But I, I, was, I was still feeling pretty confident after the first quarter. So, let's move to the second quarter. Tell me what you thought a little bit as we go to the second quarter. Now, I believe we had the ball to start the second quarter, correct? Correct. Well, they, they, their possession where they scored went up, go, go up 14-7, transferred into the second quarter, but Georgia, Georgia had the first fuel possession in the first in, in the second quarter. And, hey, I mean, the interception was unlucky. And, and I mean, yeah, you, sets have been under through the ball. It was a weird route that Georgia's run countless times. We've seen it multiple times. I'll say multiple times. And I think he's even got picked off on it before. I think against Florida, he got picked off on it or almost got picked off on it to Kenny McIntosh. But credit to Ohio State. Got pressure on him backside. If that pressure wasn't there, he was going to have a lot more time to throw it. He was going to throw that ball, and I think it was going to be a little bit more accurate, going to get it over his shoulder. But, hey, got rushed. And when you get rushed, sometimes you make bad decisions. Sometimes you don't put as much on the ball because of the pressure behind you. But, yeah, I mean, for the second quarter, Dan, after that interception and Ohio State goes down and goes up 21-7, it's kind of the oh, shit moment. First oh, shit moment of the game where you're like, whew. You know, is Georgia going to be able to respond? We haven't seen Georgia in this situation since Missouri. I believe it was. They said on the broadcast that Georgia had been down 14 or 14-plus since Missouri. So, I mean, that's – to me, when I went back and watched it, it was – that was the first of shit moment. Like, holy, there's there's the swing of momentum. There's that 14-point swing that you didn't want to happen to a team like Ohio State. But, hey, Georgia goes back. They respond. You score a touchdown on your own. Then force a punt three and out on Ohio State. Go down and score another touchdown. And, hey, Georgia forces another punt, Dan. After tying it up at 21, you force another punt. Can't capitalize on it with a touchdown, but you get a field goal. You're up 24-21. And this is where I think things started to go sideways for Georgia. It was the two-minute drill on defense. Well, really, yeah, I guess it is the under-two-minute drill. The under-two-minute drill on defense, Ohio State scores in four plays. Four plays, Dan. And that's when it started to kind of get feel like, 2019 LSU, 2021 Alabama SEC championship game, or heck, even the 2020 Alabama game where both those games, well, not minus the 2019 LSU game, Alabama scored right before halftime, both the games. And it was 2020 where Georgia, I mean, got called out on Georgia was half of Georgia's team was at the locker room waiting to go in in Tuscaloosa when Mac Jones led his team down the field to get, I believe it was either touchdown or field goal right before half. Big momentum flipper. 2019 or 20, you know, last year's SEC championship game, Bryce Young scores with under two minutes in this in the first half. And it was such a big momentum swing. It was a 14 point swing because Alabama was getting the ball after halftime. This time it's different. CJ Stroud drives right down the field, super quickly scores a touchdown, goes up 28 24. All the momentum that Georgia just got from that field goal and that 14 point swing, gone. Just gone like that. Just a couple plays. <clears throat> Well, you know, I think one of the things that I realized in that second quarter was how freaking spoiled we are as Georgia fans. If you go back and look at the entire schedule of this entire year, okay, 
Whew. We gave up 21 points in the second quarter. If you look at every single game that we've played this year, we gave up 21 points in a game three times. We gave up 21. So we gave up 22 to Kent State. We gave up 22 to Missouri. And then we gave up 30 to LSU. So we gave up in one quarter what we've gave up in a game the entire season, basically, except for three games. And and two of them were 22 points. So we're, we're splitting hairs at that point. That's how freaking spoiled we are. And that's how good this defense has been. But we, I know I did, and I know you did, and I know some other people did not. But we tried to tell you that these guys were extremely talented. They had everything required to give Georgia everything they wanted and more. Uh, You know, uh, that talk that Georgia could play their worst game and still win this football game, that's ridiculous. And and I mean, that was just just talk. And I don't think... I don't even think the person who said it believed that. I think it was just trying to get a reaction. But they are extremely, extremely talented. And then I saw – so somebody was talking about C.J. Stroud and and Stetson Bennett, and they said, well, it must be nice to throw to five stars. Talking about Stetson Bennett. Casual much? I mean, are you are you've got to be kidding me? You have to be the dumbest human on earth. That is the I mean, of all the things you could possibly say to discredit Stetson Bennett, I could think I could give you a list of 25 things you could say that have impact and punch and piss Georgia fans off. Throwing the five-star wide receivers, that ain't one because the last time I checked, we ain't got one. Not a one of them. I don't believe not. I mean, I I know AD Mitchell wasn't one. I know that uh Lad McConkey wasn't one, Dominic Blaylock wasn't one. Uh, Arian Smith wasn't one. Um, I mean, are you going to include Brock Bowers? Because some services had him as a four-star. Some services had him a five-star. Darnell Washington was a five-star in some services, and he was a four-star in others. But they're tight ends. So where are these five-star wide receivers that we have? Now, on their side, uh, Mbuke, or whatever, Mbuke, he's a five-star. He's the highest-rated recruiter, uh, highest-rated wide receiver in the country the year he came out. Jackson Smith and Jigba highest rated receiver in the year that he came out marvin harrison right on that line between a five-star four-star so all right i'll give you that one he's a four-star he's trash i don't mean come on it's marvin harrison jr right um but if you go look and then there's two other five stars that i didn't even remember being in the game so i don't know if they were playing or transferred or whatnot but they have five and and since 2019 Right, so we're in 23. So in, in theory, 2019 could still be on your roster. Am I correct or am I crazy? Believe you're correct, just because of the yeah. COVID year. But that's all mixed so, up. So, since 2019, they have seven five-star wide receivers. I mean, George's last five-star was George Pickens. Right, and he was he was in and out. So I, I just, um, I mean, like I said, of all the stupid things you could possibly say, but you know, when Georgia. Got down 14. So I was at a house party. There was probably 30, 40 people there. Um, 10 to 15 of them were were kids. So they were just coming in and out and just saying dumb stuff the entire time. So whatever. But, you know, the adults I was in the room with, um, you know, like when it was kind of going back and forth, it wasn't that big a deal. When Stetson threw the interception, we go down 14. You know, they're kind of like, oh, crap. Because, I mean, listen, they, they were starting to get some momentum going. I think – one of the most important things of that game was them to be able to score and score quickly um, to get back in that game. I, I believe once we were down 14 was the Kenny McIntosh run, right? Am I correct on that? I believe so, yes, sir. 
Yeah, so that was a long run, and we got and that got people excited. We go ahead and push that in. Stetson did a great job. Uh, he did keep it on that one. Like I said, like it, it's unfair to to really hammer Stetson for one decision or one mistake because he did so many other things well. But in a game this big against a team that good, they get magnified, and that's that's part of the curse of playing quarterback is you get way more credit than you deserve, and you get way more blame than you deserve. Um, but you know, credit to the Georgia offense and credit to that entire team on the sidelines of not getting down. I mean, how many times do you see in a big football game like that when a team jumps up on you real quick, makes you pay for a mistake, uh, two mistakes if you really want to extrapolate it out, um, and then you just can't recover? Well, Georgia didn't do that. Georgia recovered. They scored 14 straight, and then they got the ball back again. Like you said, kicked the field goal. Going into halftime with that three-point lead and getting the ball back would have been a, ma a massive advantage for Georgia. I think they had a real opportunity to put that game away. Um, not necessarily put it away, but really kind of get on that run. And, I mean, we were talking about before, you know, before high State score, we were talking about, Dan, and even before Georgia scored the field goal, it's like you could have a 14-point swing of your own right before half, yep. you know, yep. in, in between right before half and then right after half. That's a 14-point swing for Georgia. If you can get two touchdowns, yeah, and then giving up that touchdown was just brutal. And I don't, I, I mean, I have not. Um, I know Brooks did the first half last night, and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, again, I've just been sick in bed, guys. I, I wanted to be as prepared for the show as I could possibly be, and, and Mother Nature had another thing in mind, and she is kicking my ass right now. Um, so I, I wanted, I really wanted to watch Brooks's breakdown, and I know this is a free plug for Brooks, and we are like the plug station. Um, but he does such an amazing job of breaking down. Um, oh, yeah. So before we move on to that, if you need to know why you should subscribe to Brooks. So Brooks was doing the offensive Ohio State uh, breakdown, and I hope he sees this because this is this was a great job. So he talked about how um, they do um, – they, they draw up what he calls winning plays for their tight end number eight. And um, – He's just a big guy, okay? I'm not going to say what Brooks was calling him on his film study. I don't know if he's whatever, but Bigham. I think he called him Biggin, Biggin, whatever. I don't know, Biggin. Um, anyway, they set up winning plays for that guy. So it was third down. Um, it, it was seven to seven, second down. Um, they, they drew up a winner to their tight end. It was that little flare out to the left. He's not an athlete, and Brooks clued us into this. He, he talked about if they had a real special athlete at tight end, they would murder people. And if you go back and watch that play, if you if you put Brock Bowers in that position or Darnell Washington or Oscar Delt for that matter, if you put any one of those tight ends in that particular play, that is a walk-in touchdown where they go up 14 to 7 on that particular play. Um, and when Brooks was breaking down that film, he was showing us all of these winning plays that they draw up for uh number eight, and he just he can't pay them off. Like the, the scheme schematics of it are brilliant and great. And Ohio State sets up winners, and they just couldn't capitalize on them. So, you know, like, like when I said that Georgia that had some advantages, but it wasn't across the field, tight end was 100% one of them. And then that guy ends up getting hurt, and I felt like the guy that came in for him ended up being as productive as he is. So, uh, again, you know, at, at halftime, I was really disappointed because we gave up that touchdown. Um, I hadn't lost faith yet. Um, I did lose a little bit of faith later in the game. I believe I texted you at one point. We just lost this fucking game. So, <laughs> um, but it, that wasn't at halftime. So, let's move. How are you yeah. doing at halftime? 
I mean, halftime was demoralizing. When you looked at it through Georgia's perspective, you give up a touchdown right there. Luckily, you don't, you're not giving the ball back right after half, which is good because if you did, you know, you, you, you may have been down 14. You had another 14 point swing just through the first half. So luckily that didn't happen. I think it was, you know, Georgia left points on the board, obviously. They ended up lose, leaving six points on the board through two missed field goals on Jackpot Lesney's part, which we'll come back to in a little bit, Dan. Remind me, because when you go back and look at the outcome of this game, six points, at six points on Georgia's score, it would have made that last drive, that, that Will Ruggers field goal, a lot more comfortable. It would not have happened. That Ruggers field goal would not you have happened. I, this is going to sound stupid, but just hear me out. They got comfortable knowing that they only needed a field goal to win the game, right? And I know we're jumping way ahead and we've got a lot more to talk about. But imagine if they knew that they had to have a touchdown, how aggressive they might have been and how it went throughout the night. So I, I was more comfortable with them playing for a field goal especially when they got into the fringe of his field goal range and then started going really conservative um, because they were going to ask this kicker to do something he's never had to do before, which is kick a 50-yard field goal. I had more faith that he was going to miss that kick than I did that C.J. Stroud wouldn't get in the end zone if you didn't take put the cuffs on him. Because I felt like once they got near field goal range after that long run, they put the cuffs on him and said, just don't make a mistake. You, you know, Dan, I, I don't I, – I disagree. I mean, I, to me, Dan, I put the last drive on Ohio State similar to what Luke Fickle did with Cincinnati, where he didn't manage the game properly. You remember on the RPO, I believe it was, what, fourth down? He went for it, and Tyreek Stevenson tipped that ball up in the air, stopped the clock when Cincinnati could have ran the game out. I think Ryan Day was too aggressive in the sense where he should have run the ball a lot more. Why put I, – I, I get it. You're not going to get much against Georgia on the ground, and I think they lost three yards on that drive when they tried to put it on the ground against Georgia. But but why why take the risk? I mean Georgia was Georgia was a few was a was a bad mistake on CJ Stroud's part away from forcing him to go to the end zone because CJ Stroud almost took a sack, almost took a sack. So I, I don't get it. I, I just I, I think Day got too caught up in the moment of hey I really want to put these guys away with a touchdown because for some reason. To, to me, Dan, and the, and the broadcast pointed this out, Ryan Day had an edge. Ohio State as a whole had an edge. The way their offense played, they had an edge. You could see in, in Stroud's eyes the way Ryan Day was reacting. There was, I, I, He definitely felt like he was playing the underdog role, and they were. I, I was wrong about Ohio State. I didn't think it was going to be this close. I, I, I thought Georgia would win it, but in the end, it would be you know, a 10-14 point game. I didn't see Georgia going in there, having to come from behind and win it by one point in a shootout. I, I didn't see that happening, Dan. So I, I'm wrong on that part. No, I, I, I told you I think my final prediction on this game was 28-24. So I, I thought it was going to be close. I, I was The minute the pairing was announced, I told you Georgia got screwed. The minute I, – and I, and I said it to Jonathan Jeremiah, I said it to all of you. I said that Ohio State was the best team, but they weren't going to put them up against Michigan because they wanted that to be the national championship game. Granted, neither one of them got in, however, you know, whatever. Um, but they were banking on that national championship game being Ohio State, Michigan, and just being a massive television product. So, I mean, you know, like I believe it was Shannon Sharp talks about during this season. And now you can't 
go back to other seasons because other seasons, things are different, right? For different reasons. But this season, every single time a team lost, they dropped in the rankings, except one time. There's only one time in the entire 15-week season of college football that a team lost and did not drop. That's an interesting stat. Do you know who that team is? Probably Ohio State. Nope. TCU. TCU did not drop from number three to number four when they lost to who? K-State? They lost to K-State? Who Alabama boat raced? But they didn't drop. You know why? Because they, they wanted they wanted that matchup, right? Um, but, you know, this was Georgia's hardest game. And it, it may be the hardest game for a long time to come. A long time to come. Now, my biggest fear moving forward, and we'll talk about this on Thursday when we do our preview show, Our biggest, my biggest fear for that game is that Georgia exhales. Now, I don't think that's going to happen because I think Kirby knows that there's a bunch to improve on. It, listen, <clears throat> Nick Saban, for the longest time, would send messages to his team through the press, right? And they weren't – sometimes they were pointed, but they weren't pointed like a spear. Kirby Smart in his press conference at halftime and after the game was chucking spears at his guys. I'm talking about oh, like – Seth Bennett. Even, oh, Seth my God. Bennett, for sure. It's not even that. I mean, Kirby was in a freaking uh, a tank with that – like and just he was ready to run his team over with the tank. He was hot. Like you could tell that he was happy that they won. He said, you know, I, I love the intensity that they play with. I love the fact that they didn't give up and we came back or whatever, but we're going to have to play a hell of a lot better. We played, we did not play good. I mean, he was hot, angry, and a angry Kirby Smart for a week before a football game is the Kirby Smart that I want. Um, but anyway, let's get to the second half. Let's talk a little bit about the second half. I think big, big failure on Georgia's part not scoring with the ball coming out of halftime. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, second half was tough, and, and we're really just the third quarter. Third quarter, it, it, it's, it was a trend that I, 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 we talked about, I believe it was at the Florida game. We talked about it kind of in the LSU game for a little bit. Third quarter's have been rough for Georgia this year for whatever reason. Usually it's because Georgia usually has the game in hand for the most part this year. They've had the game in hand about the third quarter. Third quarter's where they had trouble, and they had trouble on it Saturday against Ohio State. Setson Bennett, through the third quarter, didn't complete a pass until the very end. Until the very end, he was 0-4. 0-4 in the third quarter passing. I saw, thank you to Brett Rollins on Twitter, 0-4 in his passing in the third quarter. That That is probably the worst quarter of play since Bennett has played all year. I don't I don't remember a quarter where he went without a completion. Uh, and and that, that's probably the only one and in which he actually was playing and, and Georgia was going for the win. So third quarter was tough. I, I, I still think – my whole take on this game, Dan, is I think Georgia tried to get into a race with a Lamborghini with a Mack truck. And I get it. Georgia has shown throughout the year that they can win fights with different style of fights. And they showed, hey, we can certainly gear down and run the piss out of the football and, and, and true clock, eat possessions, limit the possessions, limit the snaps, our defense is on the field, and we could win the game, a la Kentucky. They showed they can go through the air, air it out, be an air raid offense, and win a shootout, a la the Ohio State game. Heck, they did something similar, except it wasn't a shootout. It was a blowout against Oregon. They showed two different styles against Tennessee. They aired it out a little bit against Tennessee. They were more physical against Tennessee in the first half. 
a lot more aggressive, scored more, you know, more successful, won the game. Then they go to the second half, Dan, with the rain. They got there and they play ball control, bully ball, what we saw for the first couple years of Kirby Smart on offense at Georgia. So it's a good win, a good win. And considering the way they turned it around from the third quarter to the fourth quarter, incredible. You know, you're absolutely right. And, you know, that, that third quarter was rough, right? You know, so you're down, you're down four, I believe, at halftime. And they go on a 10-0 run in the third quarter. So now you're down 14 again going into the fourth quarter. And if when you go back and watch it, you know, there's so many times in a game. And, and, and in the moment, you don't think about it this way because you don't know how it's going to play out, right? But when you go back and watch it, there's so many times during a football game where um, just one inch – one one thing goes a different way. It completely changes the complexion of the game, com- changes the outcome of the game. I mean, if you go back to uh, any given Sunday, that, that movie in Al Pacino is given that halftime speech where he talks about this game is the game of inches. Um, you know, an inch too much, you know, you don't, you don't catch it. An inch too short, you don't make it. It's just a game of inches. And if you go back and look at all those different things, then it comes out after the game that, um, I saw one source say that Brock Bowers was playing the game with the flu. Uh, another game said that he was playing it um, with like a bad sinus infection, kind of like what I have, and he felt like just terrible all week. And then you think about the play that he makes on that fourth down in the fourth quarter, fourth and six, where, I mean, he matrixed the shit out of that. I mean, I'm talking about he's got his arm on the ground and somehow he doesn't step out of bounds with his, uh, his uh, left foot and keeps his body elevated and gets that first down. And I remember Jonathan Jeremiah being at the game and, you know, they didn't know because they wouldn't show a replay. And I, you know, I was like, dude, I, I it looked to me like he had it. Um, and then, you know, the, obviously they give him the first down before they come back from touch uh, from commercial break. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just so many different things would could have happened. I mean, <clears throat> if CJ Stroud throws that ball out of the end zone instead of throwing it short enough to where Marvin Harrison thinks he can make the play on it, Marvin Harrison doesn't get hit. Okay. Um, the referees were suspect all night long um, for both teams. And if they don't reverse that call and that's a passing or, you know, a targeting, we lose arguably one of the best guys back there in Javon Bullard. And then now it's first and goal inside the five. And they probably punch it in. Um, I mean, just so many different things changed. And, you know, I, I said just a few minutes ago how spoiled we were as Georgia fans because the entire season we gave up in one quarter what we've given up in the game all but three games. I mean, that's incredible if you if you think about that. That's just incredible. And then I saw something uh, from CBS Sports today where this past season the Colorado Buffaloes defense allowed 534 points. In one season, 534 points is what they allowed this year. In the last three seasons, including the playoffs, Georgia has allowed 519 points. In the last three seasons, including the playoffs, Georgia has allowed 519 points, while Colorado allowed 534 in one season. So, and then I saw another thing today where, you know, it was this Georgia fan, and it reminded me of Jonathan's, because Jonathan has told us this a million different times that we are living in the golden era of Georgia football. And there will be times when our kids or, um, you know, our grandkids or whatever, ask us what it was like to be a Georgia fan during this time frame. And 
you know, I don't think we enjoyed it enough. And I was, you know, I, I watched a Ohio State fan talk about the loss after the game. And like his perspective on it just like opened my eyes. Like he was not angry. He, he had no vitriol, or whatever, like that. He had talked about all the things that had happened and how Michigan fans were talking so much crap because they beat him. And he's like, you know, as good as fuel to the fire to the rivalry, it makes the rivalry more exciting. He's like, sometimes a loss is good for you. Um, you know, it adds more fuel to the fire, makes makes that game mean something again. Um, the loss to Georgia, he said, you know, there was a lot of things that could have changed one way or another, but he was really proud of the guys because they went out there and they fought. C.J. Stroud played the game of his life. He did things in the game against Georgia that he has not done in the last two years at Ohio State. He does not like to run. Um, I believe he only had like, was it 74 yards rushing coming into the game on the entire season? He does not like to run. He does not like to get hit. Uh, He does not put his body in a position to take shots. He doesn't risk it. Um, But he did all those things. He was a great leader. He laid his body on the line for his team. Um, You know, the Marvin Harrison thing getting hurt. I don't, I, I, not for one second did I think that was targeting. Um, It's extremely unfortunate that he got hurt on that play. I mean, he's a great player. We don't like to see guys get hurt. Was it a, a a fortunate outcome for Georgia that he was able to that he got hurt and didn't play the rest of the game? Yes, it was fortunate. But then again, we didn't have Darnell Washington from the um, the twelve minute and hold on one second and I got it. Oh come on, you're gonna mess with me right now. Um, we lost we lost Darnell Washington at the twelve seventeen mark of the second quarter on the pick play. He got hurt on Stetson Bennett's pick play. He is. As big a part of our offense as, as Harrison is theirs. So we did not have him for almost the entire game. And Harrison, only the fourth quarter, right? So, you know, I listen, I there was a lot of emotion in that game. And I, I believe when we went down 14 and in, in the second half, I just, I, you know, I, I didn't know if Georgia was going to be able to come back. And, uh, and that's when I texted you, I didn't think we were going to win that football game. Um, but then the one thing, that, that's, that's the crazy thing about this Georgia football team is that every time you think they're out, well, which is not hardly ever because we don't usually trail, but what is the one thing they had to have? They had to score quickly. They didn't, they were running out of time. They had to score quickly. And then you got a guy falling down now, whether he fell down legitimately or he realized he just got his boots burned and he was like, Oh, I'm going to fall. It kind of like a sprinter who pulls up with a hamstring when he realizes he just got blown off the line Um, because Arian Smith smoked that dude. So even if he doesn't fall down, that's still a walk-in touchdown, but that's the one thing that Georgia had to have. Like they had to have that. Like they don't win that football game. If it takes them five minutes to score that game or score that touchdown, they just don't. So, I don't know, man. It's just one of those things where you can't count this Georgia football team out. I, you just can't. And and you better enjoy it because I realized halfway through the game I was not enjoying it. It was too stressful. Like you you guys said, this is going to be like like once in the middle of the game, you guys said something about this is going to be a stressful game. I'm like, I hope it's not because I can't handle it. Um, <laughs> it was tough, man. It was tough. Yeah, and that Arian Smith, shout out to Arian Smith. And I, and I do want to get touch on to him. Uh, among other things that we do have in the show notes tonight, because there are some stats. Shout out to the UGA Sports, uh, UGA Sports, uh, I don't even know, UGA Football Space. Shout out to them on Twitter. Everyone provides their own stats. Everyone has it. And I know most of the time it's everybody using the same stats because everyone gets their stats from the same place. But, hey, 
lot of great stats. Uh, Brett Rollins did a great job talking about Kiwi Ringo, had some good stats on him, even had some good stats on Aaron Smith. Uh, so shout out to him, among others, for the great stats that they've put out there for everyone to see. And uh, let's talk about the fourth quarter, Dan, because, I mean, you already touched on it here. Georgia had to score quickly. They had to score quickly. And at the time, I mean, for the majority of that game, it's like, okay, Georgia's on offense, needs to slow it down, need to stop passing the ball, you need to try and run. You need to run the ball because at times you were able to run at will. And when you did, you were popping off 15, 20-yard runs like it's nothing. And it's like, okay, you don't want to get into a race with a cheetah like Ohio State was. I mean, it's legit. I know I know, calling Georgia's offense a Mac or Georgia's team a Mack truck compared to Ohio State's Lamborghini may be a little bit extreme. All right, so I, I, we may settle and say Georgia's a pickup truck, a fast pickup truck, but they're not going to catch up with a Lamborghini. But, heck, they did. I don't know what they did, Dan. I don't know if they got that little boost like you got in, in Fast and Furious, man, that little nod, you pull the hammer or the handle, and boom. But they did. So, Aaron Smith, Dan, he has 11, I want to say 11 receptions for over 300 yards for his career. And Saturday – was the first game of his career, Dan. Here's a mind-blowing stat, Dan. First game of his career where he had more than one reception. He had three receptions for 129 yards, best on the team, was a leading receiver, probably the most explosive player in Georgia's team that day. A- a- incredible game for him because they just got Adoni Mitchell back. At, uh, Lad McConkey was banged up. But, hey, Henry Smith was there. And when they needed, when they needed a touchdown – when they needed it, most of all, he burnt his guy, was wide open, Stetson Bennett hit it, and boom. So I want to I want to get to that, Dan, because Stetson Bennett has taken a lot of flack. And I know we've, we've talked most of this season about how Stetson Bennett deserves respect. But, I mean, I mean and really, we could probably do this segment next week, and it wouldn't change. And, and hey, I don't know, but I'm just going to say it. Right now, Dan, we, we can probably do this segment next week, next Tuesday, after the National Championship game. Win or lose, we can do it and still have the same opinion no matter what happens next week. It's time to respect Stead. That's that's the segment here. That's that's what it's called, Dan. In the fourth quarter, Georgia down two scores for the majority of that fourth quarter until the end. Stetson Bennett completed 10 of his 12 passes, 190 yards, two touchdowns. Dan, he had a perfect passer rating for that fourth quarter. Perfect passer rating. He didn't put a foot wrong, okay? Didn't take a sack. Didn't throw a pick. His one pick, hey, he wants that one back. Anyone would. But here's a really surprising, Dan. It was after probably the worst quarter of his career. I haven't seen Stetson Bennett play that bad of a quarter in the third quarter like he did since probably his first year starting in 2020. I mean, that just shows you the maturity, the development, and, and what he's meant to this team. He's not getting carried. You, you can say that last year because Georgia had a great defense. And Georgia has a good defense this year. But by no means is Georgia's defense this year historic. By no means at all. They aren't. They aren't what last year was. But it's it, it's time. It is time for everybody to come to the table and recognize that Stetson Bennett is the reason, is, is part of the reason, major part of the reason, in my opinion, that Georgia came back and won this football game. Yes, the defense got stops when they needed to. But when Georgia needed touchdowns, when Dan put out the tweet that said, championship teams score touchdowns and do what they need to do here and, and inside the two-minute drill. Dan put it out before the drive. I believe it was during a commercial break. Dan put it out. Dan, read. let me go find the tweet. Dan put it out 
and and it, it happened. It happened. Dan, man, here, I got it right here. Dan says, if you're the best team in the country, you go score. You need a touchdown in two minutes, 43 seconds. No miracles needed. No luck. Just go win the game. And I quote Dan Kiley. Go follow him at Dan Kiley 3 on Twitter. Boom. Perfect. So You're right. And, and, and it's, it's not the first time he's done this, Dan. No, and then if you want to – that 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 last drive, the last – the game-winning drive, where – so he starts it off right here. Um, Stetson Bennett, uh, first and 10 at the UGA, 28. Complete, completes a pass to Kenny McIntosh for two yards. Now, this is very early in the drive, but I think this is the play of the game. And and you, you may laugh or you may roll your eyes or say you're stupid. Stetson Bennett pass complete to Brock Bowers for 15 yards to the Georgia 45 first down. Simple enough. Second and eight, not a big deal. Go back and watch that play. That pocket collapsed all around him. He had Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison about to absolutely eat his lunch coming off the edge. And somehow he he brings his arm down from back here and he kind of puts it in front of his body and throws a little scud missile like this just from his chin out. Like it, it's just he, he felt that uh, his head didn't turn. He felt it closing in on him. He kind of changed his throwing mechanic, threw a little dart, almost like you're throwing darts in a bar and, and completed that pass to Brock Bowers. Critical play because if he takes that, that sack now you're in third and long with the clock running and we're running out of time and who knows how the game changes if he doesn't complete that pass even if it's an incomplete pass I don't think it's the end of the world but if he takes that sack it is the end of the world and I mean you know we talk about game inches. I'm talking about like it was a game of a foot right there because Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison was about a foot away from getting their hands on him and honestly if, if they if they Pull him down right there. That's that's probably the ball game when we lose. Um, and, and real quick, I mean, probably the best throw of the game for him was that ball, the play after the next play, which was a penalty, so the play didn't count. It was an incomplete pass to Lyle McConkie. Got Kyrus. that. He was an offside. Kyrus Jackson. That throw to Kyrus Jackson, boom. Silence, silence. He could go hit the silencer like Marvin Harrison Jr. on that play alone. Incredible ball. An NFL ball all in one play. Everything that George, uh, uh, people have shown – Stetson Bennett can do this year. He did it on that drive. And then for him to go down, Dan, and I know he criticized it. He was self-critical of himself and said, yeah, we scored way too quickly. We gave C.J. Stroud a lot more time than we wanted. But, hey, he had anticipation on that throw, that touchdown pass to A.D. Mitchell. Perfect anticipation on that route. Well, and the, the other thing, the thing I really don't like about these games is like, I understand you have two sides to the story. You have the Georgia side and you have the Ohio State story. Sometimes you have the neutral observer who's just going to give you what they thought. But, you know, and, and I blocked him now. Like, I, I thought he was entertaining for a while, but the Sam Block dude, like, I, I blocked him because he's just an idiot. He said, if you don't understand the difference between an NFL quarterback and a JV quarterback like Stetson Bennett, I don't want to tell you. He, he said, CJ's throwing NFL windows all day long. Stetson's throwing a wide open wide receivers with all day to throw the ball. Like, what game were you watching, bro? Like, I understand that, yes, like the touchdown to Arian Smith was wide open. I get it. He fell down. But you know what? Some of those passes to Zach Harrison were wide open, too, because Georgia had a couple blown coverages in the back end. The one where it was an out route about 15 yards down the field to get that first drive started for uh, the, the actual the, – the scoring, the first scoring drive. Um, it was an out route, and Kamari Lasseter thought he had, um, was trying to take him inside, and he turned his hips to the outside, and Zach cut it sharp. And he was able to complete that pass underneath Kamari Laster. I mean, I, listen, that's going to happen. I'm not picking on Kamari Laster. I'm saying, but that's a wide, that's not an NFL window. The guy was wide open. So, like, 
It, but some of the throws that that he made were NFL throws, 100% C.J. Stroud, 100%. But to your point, that throw to Kier Jackson was an NFL throw. It was over the top of the linebacker who was in bail position, had his hand up, goes over him, and, and it's low enough to prevent him getting killed from somebody over the top. It was a great throw, great throw. Believable is, believable is uh, such and said postgame. I, I don't have the all-22 just yet, but Sesson said he, he identified Tampa 2. It was Tampa 2, and he, I mean, he hit the little hole right there. Because there's the middle of the field, the two middle field safeties part. Middle field's open. Then you have that linebacker fill in the middle space. Throws it right over the guy. Throws it right over. And great throw. Like it was like watch. It was like a flashback to 2020 because Curious Jackson was that guy for Recess and Ben on third down on that play. He was that guy. Same place or in the right place at the right time. And and Georgia paid for. You know, it all paid off in the end. It all paid off in the end. You answered two 14 point swings. The only real criticism of that last drive is that once we got down in the scoring area, um, Stetson was still trying to go fast. And, you know, on the touchdown play, we, we snapped the ball with 19 seconds left on the clock. And that's kind of the Matt Ryan thing where he just left, you know, th- there's a chance he left too much time. Um, it, it, it was second know, down. We had timeouts in our pocket. That I don't understand why we did that. And then the thing that really drove me crazy is we're calling freaking timeouts, and then our guys are doing the injury thing on the field on the last drive, and we're letting Ohio State set up for whatever the hell they want to do. They, they At no point on that last drive did Ohio State have to panic because Georgia was calling timeouts and stopping the damn clock. That You want to talk about a, a moment in time where Dan lost his shit. That was it. When the Georgia players were like, oh, my leg hurts. It's not fucking broken. Get up and run off the field, dude. Like you're stopping the clock. I actually do think those were actual injuries. I, I, they were, reports. but they're not dead. It's a cramp. Just, like, crawl your ass off the field because, like, you're stopping the clock. And then they put more time back on the clock. I I, I almost had an aneurysm. I already was not feeling good at that point. Um, I started feeling sick at that point. Like, I, I wasn't able to drink or anything like that because I just – my I started feeling real sick. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill somebody. And, I mean, it ended up working out great, but <sighs> – that's that's the reaction to how the game ended. But I got two things, Dan. I just want to talk about it real quick. We can talk about it. You've already kind of touched on the corners a little bit. But it's time to stop. It's time to stop. Slander is a strong word. But when you're trying to make headlines for these segments, it's kind of fun to try and put two and two together. So I think stop slander kind of looks good on the, on the note sheet. But Keely Ringo has been kind of the face and the scapegoat for the last, what, month? month and a half of the season, he's been the scapegoat. It's, oh, Keely Ringo's a weakness. Keely Ringo's this and that. Keely Ringo's done this and that wrong. All this and that. And it's by dudes who probably don't really know what they're talking about, probably don't have the All-22 version of the copy or don't really know what Georgia – nobody knows that's in the – first off, anyone that's not inside that building day-to-day knows what exactly the responsibilities are. There are smart people like our friend Brooks who who, who can di- decipher it and tell you exactly what he thinks it is, and he's probably going to be right almost 90% of the time, but Kieringo got a lot of slack again after the game. But when Brett Rollins put out his tweet, these statistics, Dan, it, it really opened your eyes. It's like, I mean, he didn't play bad. I mean, yeah, he gave up one touchdown, but shoot, Brooks, I, Brooks put out today, Keely Ringo, the only problem where he had was in scramble drill. And what is usually the result of a scramble drill, Dan? It's because nothing's coming up and down field or the pockets collapsing on the quarterback. So the quarterback – Bails out on the pocket, if I'm right, Dan, and everybody's supposed to go, you know, come back to the football. All right. 
when you asked when we were doing position breakdowns and you asked me, can Georgia's DBs hold up against their wide receivers? What did I say? If it's three seconds, absolutely. If you're saying that we have to cover five star wide receivers for eight to ten seconds, no way, no way possible. It's just not possible. Like you you cannot cover for that long. So, like you're right. There were plenty of times in video where you could pull up a video and if you splice it the right way, you could say Keely Ringo got absolutely cooked. Listen, he got beat on a couple plays, but listen, he's human. That's going to happen. And he was up against Marvin Harrison Jr. for the most part, who is a special wide receiver. I mean, he's going to win some. Keeley's going to win some. And Keeley did win some. Um, there was a, a massive third down play where Keeley is able to knock the ball down, that, and then they have to punt. And that was part of the, us coming back from down 14. If he doesn't knock that ball down, 100% a catchable ball. Um, Marvin Harrison catches it, gets the first down easy, maybe even scores on that play because I don't know if there's anybody behind him because it was one-on-one uh, on a drag route across the middle field. Um, Keeley made his share of plays. Did he get beat occasionally? Yes, he did get beat occasionally. But more times than not, like you said, the ones that he got beat bad, air quotes, I'm doing air quotes for people on the podcast. Um, when he got beat bad, air quotes, uh, was because it was a 10-second cover. And like. I don't care who you are. You could put Darrell Revis in his prime on Marvin Harrison Jr. And you give Marvin Harrison Jr. eight to ten seconds. He's getting open, dude. I mean, what do you want? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really, you know, scrimmage drill. What it really comes down to is, is the quarterback and his receiver or receivers on the same page? How how well are they connected? You know, what's their chemistry like? If they're on the same page, shoot, you can luck trying to stop Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase in scramble drill. That's what got him in trouble in 2019. Is George had really good corners in 2019. Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, both NFL guys, Dan. But hey, when Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson got in scramble drill, throw it all away. It's going to be a touchdown. So you want to, thanks to Brett Ross for these stats. Keely Ringo was targeted 13 times, give up six catches for 69 yards and a touchdown. I believe the touchdown was the scramble drill. And probably some other catches with the scramble drill. But when CJ Stroud was targeting everyone else, Dan, he was 17 of 18 for 279 yards and three touchdowns. And this isn't meant to pick on everybody else. This is just showing you kind of discrepancy of where Georgia's depth chart lies at corner. Keeler Ringo's your number one corner. That means he's going to pretty much going to have to cover the best guy on the opposing team. And it's not always like that. Don't get me wrong. It's not always like that. Because the way Georgia plays is they have a field and a boundary corner. You're going to put probably your most athletic, the guy you cover in space, uh, the, the guy you trust more in space into the field because you feel, and, and that's Kamari Laster. Majority of the time, Kamari Laster is playing to the field. Keely Ringo, he's into the boundary. And that's just Georgia trying to find the right places for their best players and putting them in the best position to win. And hey, Keely Ringo wasn't his best game. By all means, wasn't his best game. But shoot, he didn't play half as bad as a person. He didn't play half as bad as people on Twitter thought he did. He, he just didn't. So let's, let's take it easy in Keeley. Let's let's actually, you know, focus on the facts and get rid of the bias before you go out there and well, start criticizing these players. And if you want to cook Keeley, that's fine. Then why don't we cook the Ohio State guy? Because we targeted I, – I don't, I don't remember what his name was, and I don't care to look it up, and I'm not trying to blast a kid. But I believe that the, the one guy that Georgia targeted – they gave up, he gave up like over 250 yards receiving by himself, like in his coverages, uh, like the Arian Smith deep balls were on him. And then the, the, the 75 yard or the, uh, the long pass to, um, uh, Kiers Jackson to set up the touchdown was on him. 
Um, there's a couple other ones as well. So he didn't have a good night either. So, I mean, all's fair in love and war, right? But I, I'm not trying to cook that kid because that's not what I choose to do with my time. Um, yeah. But, I mean, Keely can play better. I mean, that there are there are things he can do, do better. But he, Kirby says that all the time. He says that about all of his guys, like that none of them have played the perfect game, that they they all have things to work on to get better at. I mean, I the one thing I will say, my biggest takeaway from this game is that Kamari Lasseter has really been as good as Keeley has been. And that was extremely important for us because we didn't know who that other corner was going to be coming in the year. And we were a little bit worried, at least I was, I was a little bit worried about who was going to be on the other side. And that, you know, Keeley might be able to shut down one side of, on on his own, but the other side would just be a water faucet, just always running. And that's not what happened. Kamari Lasseter, he got that job. And as the season has gone along, he's gotten to be um, pretty darn good. And for the most part, they don't pick on him. Um, he's the one that they really stay away from. So I got to give a lot of flowers to Kamari Lasseter. I think he's um, he's a- been absolutely outstanding. And then Christopher Smith, I – I can't say enough about him, and I know a lot of people hype him up, but Christopher Smith made a couple really, really nice plays in that football game. And, you know, he – listen, he's he's the type of guy, in my opinion, who packs his lunch in the morning, puts it in his lunch pail, puts his hard hat on, his work boots, and he comes ready to roll. Just – I mean, that guy – I every time I watch him play, it's just – he's just ready to knock your butt out. And, you know, that's what he's there to do. Um, Dan just Dan lunch. just worked in the ultimate coaches speak <laughs> reference right there with the pack. He's the lunch bell guy. Lunch bell brings on the brings his hard hat on, and just ready to roll. Sound, that's that's the ultimate coach speak reference there. But yeah, I mean, what's really impressive me, Dan, about Christopher Smith is I I, I know George doesn't really play with a, like a quote unquote strong safety and quote unquote free safety. That's not really a part of football anymore. But you go look at how he was used last year and the last two years. He was kind of what you would say was a free safety. He was more adept in coverage. He was a, probably a better coverage. He, he, I, I still, well, maybe maybe Malachi Starks might be a little bit better in one on ones, but Christopher Smith, I trust him all over the field in cover. He was, you know, if you want to play one high safety, you're going to put Christopher Smith up top, and you're going to roll Lewisine into the box or or put him on a tight end. That's just the way it is. But now Christopher Smith's kind of like that strong safety, that hard hitting safety, that guy that's going to come into your block, the, the box and blow your head off type guy, you know? stop a jet sweep that could go for plus five and get it for minus two. Kind of like what Lewisine did last year against Alabama. So credit Chris Smith, credit to Will Muschamp and Curry Smart and even Fran Brown for what they've done with the secondary. But that's going to wrap it up for today. You heard it. Dan talked about it. We, we put it out on Twitter if, if you're still with us and if you didn't see it. Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. East Coast time. Going to talk Georgia TCU. We did all Ohio State today. Post-game reactions, post-game thoughts. We're going to bring you our full show, regular show, but with TCU preview for the national championship game on Thursday at 730. Make sure to be there with us. Hey, we may even throw in multi-bit. We may throw in another Thursday show next week, depending on if we can get some dominoes to fall our way. So, hey, stay tuned. Stay tuned on social media. Follow Dan Kiley on Twitter at DanKiley3. Follow me at Harrison Reno on Twitter. Guys, I apologize for the auto issues. It made us a little bit late. That's on me. I'm going to try and get this figured out in the meantime. But with that being said, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Leave us a five-star rating on all the podcast platforms. And, guys, we're going to see you back next, this coming Thursday, 730. Remember that. 
two top dog talk podcast episodes this week. Wait, it's national championship weekend. Zach's our boy. He's the most loyal guy that we have. He wants to know about the LSU rumor. Now we can't go into detail on that because Harrison wants to have a career in this business, but. Damn, that's all I'll say, Zach. Okay, Harrison's not going to comment on this. He wants a career in the media business. I'm old. I don't care. Damn, that's all I'll say. And you, might no dogs. Catch, you might have to go catch Dan on Twitter if you want his real thoughts on that. But hey, that being said, guys, see you back next Thursday. And hey, enjoy your week, guys. It's National Championship Week. See you back on Thursday.